following podcast is recorded and produced by the Podcast Precinct in affiliation with the network at BICBP-radio.com. The Podcast Precinct. Consistency. Creativity. Culture. Welcome, everybody, to another exciting edition of Stories from the Sidelines. Today, with me, as always, we have uh, my co-host, Matt Keogh. Matt, how are we doing today? Fantastic. I'm telling you, it was another great Bills weekend, a 40 to nothing shutout. Yes, sir. Not only that, but uh, Tom Brady did win, but the Patriots lost yes, to sir. the hands of Tom Brady. <laughs> so anytime the Patriots lose, the Bills win, it is a... A number one weekend in my books. Um, with me today, our special guest, um, a man who is the president of AFERD. He has done more for the phys ed community and coaching community that I could ever hope for. Please welcome from Canisius College, Dr. Clancy Seymour. Well, uh, well how, thank you for having me. What, uh, what a kind introduction. Uh, I appreciate it. Uh, we're all uh, in this journey together, and I'm... Uh, Humbled to be on the podcast. Thank you, Larry. Thank you, Matt, for having me. Um, like I said, it's uh, we're all in this together. Happy no, absolutely. And and I tell you, I, I I teach at Buffalo City, and I know we were talking about this a little bit um, before we got started. But the professional development that you did for Buffalo City, I believe it was back in April or May of of last school year, it was top notch. It was really uh, not only very informative. But it, it got a lot of newer ideas out there. And it really just, uh, for me personally, it, it, looking back on that, it was really reflective and really kind of helped me. I've already implemented some of the stuff in this early school year. So I really thought it was uh, great, not only, I'm sure, for, for newer teachers, but even for uh, old veteran teachers like myself. It really kind of uh, put a lot of things in new perspectives and, and gave me a different viewpoint than uh, I didn't necessarily have. So uh, thank you so much for coming out and doing that. Uh, that professional development for sure uh that's uh that's uh, you know I, I guess a marriage between new york state aford our professional association at the state level the association for health physical education recreation and dance and um the venture with new york state education in the revision of our new york state pe learning standards so what we what we've developed is a resource that connects curriculum uh to those new uh, PE learning standards. So that's what you speak to. And I'm glad that you've uh, found that meaningful. And um, uh, it's nice to see that you're using it. Um, one quick thing I forgot to mention too, is uh, of course, go bills. How can I not uh, absolutely uh, be on the bandwagon too? For sure. Now I was going to say, our, um, I know I'm, I'm sure you've gone through the droughts. You've gone through the, the nineties years, like I did, like I was, when I was a kid, um, just how much fun is it uh, just for Bill's football again. I know for me, I remember back in uh, my days as a student, you know, we would have, especially during the Super Bowl years, I mean, our school, that first Super Bowl run literally shut down. I mean, we did nothing but Bill's this, Bill's that. We had a big pep rally the Friday before the Super Bowl. For me personally, as a phys ed teacher, these last, especially uh, this year, it's been so much fun getting the kids excited every Friday. We have bills day. It's wear your Jersey, wear your red, white, and blue, wear whatever bills colors you have. It's been 
awesome to finally get that back into the schools and just see the kids so excited about it. I agree. Um, you know, it's funny because uh, whether we're talking about physical education and standards four and five, I'm sure Matt is chuckling because we had a conversation in class today about that. Um, you know, whether it's national standards four and five or New York state standards four and five and uh, possibly six or, or, ju- or, you know, just the idea that, uh, you know, when we see someone from across the street or at the grocery store and at the end of the conversation or at the end of the run-in or at the, after you pay your grocery bill, you, you just say, go bills. Uh, it's a, it's a different time. And it's uh, reminds me of the, the roll tide down in the SEC territory and, uh, it's really fun. And, um, you know, I don't know if I'm going to make myself feel pretty old here, but I can speak to to your experiences, Larry, myself, having been uh, raised in a suburb of Toronto, Ontario. I'm a Canadian, proud Canuck, as you know, you can see from my apparel hanging in the background. Um, but, you know, when I, uh, what uh, people don't realize is I was a Bills fan even prior to my uh, journey across the border. So, um, you know, many people or many, uh, boys and girls who get their driver's licenses back in my time, uh, start listening to the Buffalo radio stations. And before you know it, you become hooked on the bills and uh, uh, you know, every, uh, you know, every weekend roundup or review and you all of a sudden you listen to the, the chants and the respect and the bills make me want to shout. And all of a sudden you, you've, you've turned your, uh, you've been swayed and become a Buffalo bills fan. So I've been a bills fan for a very, very long time. And I still remember where I was for the first Super Bowl, indeed. And, uh, of course, the end, uh, the tragic ending to that uh, to that story itself. But nevertheless, I still remember where I was. And it's nice to be back in a, in a competitive state again, for sure. Oh, absolutely. And don't get me wrong, that that first Super Bowl loss, it still it still stings. It still stings. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> we're, we're hoping to erase those with the Super Bowl victory this year, though. Yes, for sure. Um, you know, but from a coaching standpoint, because we're going to talk about that today, no other team would have come close to winning that game given the, the time of possession when it came to the Giants, that game versus the Bills, 40 to 20, I think it was, 40 minutes to 20 minutes. Yeah. The team wouldn't have been in, in the ballgame if it wasn't, you know, that goes to, it speaks to how good the Buffalo Bills were at that time. Sure. Yeah, and it was, um, I mean, it, it was, you know, Bill Parcells, uh, a young Bill Belichick on the defensive staff as a defensive yeah. coordinator. I don't think people realize just, you know, the – that really was the only way that the Giants were going to beat the Bills is if they literally took the ball out of their hand and they literally took the ball out of Kelly's hands, out of Thomas's hands. They kept that defense on the field just for such a long period of time. It was the perfect game plan. And I know as coaches, we always go into the perf- with there with the perfect game plan, but they executed it to perfection. And that's what, it, that's what got them the Super Bowl. Indeed. All right, so Matt, you want to go over a little uh, bio that you have on uh, on Doctor Seymour over there? I got a I got a pretty pretty nice bio here, but um, so we're we're gonna see if Matt. I, I gave Matt the homework assignment of getting a bio on you, and we're gonna yeah. see if, we're gonna see just how well Matt did on his homework assignment here. So oh, I'm sure he did great. Oh, of course. <laughs> um, so obviously he is he is Canadian, as he stated. Uh, he, Dr. Seymour has played and coached for the ice Griffs, So he is a hockey player. Let's go hockey. Even though the Sabres are not, uh, the best anymore. Um, <laughs> they're, they're a team on the rise. Hopefully on the they rise. lost, they lost yesterday preseason. It doesn't count preseason. It doesn't count anyways. Um, 
he, uh, just like me, he's a graduate from Canisius for, he got his master's and his bachelor's there. Um, his lovely wife, which I've also met through Zoom meetings and uh, is also a Canisius graduate and another PE uh, educator. So, okay, yeah, I got a lot of helpful, helpful tips from her and other professionals who graduated from Canisius when we did uh, round tables last semester. I got to plug myself. I am, I am also a Canisius uh, alumni, a Canisius graduate class of 2002. Just had to plug That's that in great. there. I, wait, I did not even know that. I have a Canisius grad. I had, um, in fact, one of my, I, I was back with the, uh, the Jim Silvis days and uh, Dr. Uh, Reed. Yes. Dr. Yeah. 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 It, is Dr. Reed still there? Dr. Reed is still uh, teaching for us. He just achieved emeritus status, which is the highest status of a faculty member in higher ed from a, um, a promotion standpoint and the fact that you probably move into the retirement phase of your career. So he's been granted emeritus status, which is a, a very wonderful distinction and well-earned. I'm going to sure. say well-earned. I'm not going to lie. I've never seen, and I say this in in the best possible way. I've never seen a, a teacher use as much energy as he does in his class. I mean, I remember taking a coaching philosophy course with him and he's to get his point across. There's been times he's literally bouncing off the walls. Yes. I mean, he's, I remember that he's just, he's, he brings the energy every time. And he might be my all-time favorite teacher at, at Indeed, in college. He's, uh, he, there's no one that can tell a story like Dr. Reed. Oh, I could sit, I could sit and provide the fact, vivid detail and direction. Uh, in fact, if he doesn't already, if there's somebody that should have a podcast, it's Dr. Reed. Oh yeah. God. He's fantastic. Indeed. Certainly. Uh, I think we're all disciples of, uh, of him as well. Now, um, Funny you should mention that. I believe the college has taken out an insurance plan for making sure he doesn't break drywall and things like that. <laughs> I was going to say, I don't know if he broke drywall. I'm pretty sure at one point he put a dent in it. So I don't yes. know if he broke it, but he definitely yes. dented it. Yes, yes. So yeah, I, I love Dr. Reed. Great, great guy. I'm, and I'm glad to see, I'm glad to hear that he's still, that he's still teaching there. Yes, Dr. Silvis, I still talk to a little bit too, and uh, he's doing well. He's down retired and in the Delaware region now and doing oh, very good. well. So I will make sure I say hello on your behalf. I didn't realize that you were a graduate of uh, the Canisius P program. How exciting. Oh, absolutely. Loved it. Yeah, Loved it. Yeah. Um, and then Dr. Silvis, of course, was the badminton uh, expert. Yes. Got, he could got a chance with his non-dominant hand too. I got a chance to play badminton. He always has the class tournament or he had the class tournament and whoever won it or the top four he'd play against. Um, I got a chance to play against him. He made me run ragged over that course. And I don't think he took more than maybe five steps the yes. entire match. I mean, he was just drop shots, this shot, that shot. By the, by the time the game was over, I was dripping in sweat. I yeah. don't think he moved again, more than five steps. The entire phenomenal match. athlete. He was, uh, the, uh, uh, he was known as Dr. Junk ball Silvis. I believe he was a pitcher <laughs> too. And, uh, Oh, I didn't realize he was a pitcher. Yeah. And, um, at one point, he might have been one of the best racquetball players in the Northeast United States. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I know he was big in racquetball, yeah. um, badminton. Um, he was, yeah, he was phenomenal. Another, another very knowledgeable teacher that I was lucky to uh, gain a lot of knowledge and a lot of wisdom from. No question about it. All right. Um, so let's get into a little bit of your, your playing days. Now, you said, I know you played hockey, both played and coached hockey at Canisius. Um, 
how how did you how did you hear of Canisius? Like, was it just through recruiting of, of hockey? Did you always have an idea before the recruiting process? What got you? What brought you to Canisius? So, good question, Larry. I um, being a young Canadian uh, boy, many of us are, are are born with sticks in our hands and skates on our feet, and uh, hockey was one of the sports that I played. And uh, I knew from a, a fairly young age, probably. 11, 12, 13, that I wanted to try to go as far as I could in the sport of hockey. I loved it. I adored the sport. And it didn't take me long, um, just because of, uh, maybe we'll talk about this later today, clinics and academies. I started to learn of the option to potentially get a scholarship to play hockey. So, uh, you know, you were, you were reminded, I'm sure you can speak to the same thing, Larry. Matt's probably being told this all the time from parents about how, how important your education is and and, um, you know, the, so the idea and the appeal to go down south of the border and potentially play a sport that you love and use that sport to help pay for your education certainly was appealing. And um, it, it wasn't even as popular as it is now uh, from a hockey context. Uh, it seems it's at an all-time high right now, the sport of hockey for sure. So I learned at a young age about the option of going down south and trying to uh to quote lebron james take my talents down uh, in that that area so um so that's what um you know that was what my long-term goal aspiration was was to try to get that scholarship so um you know i continued to progress i played some other sports um but the long-range plan for me was always try to use hockey to help uh get uh get down south to, to potentially acquire my education at the same time so that's kind of what I did and um uh you know I played uh I, that got me to junior hockey in in, in Canada and Ontario uh for those you know for our listeners and for uh, for you I'm sure some most of you have heard that you know the uh we always talk about in this part of the world the western world the sports industrial complex and how big sport is in this part of the world well junior hockey is probably the one of the premier um I guess, vehicles for uh, hockey or for people to, to move and ascend through the hockey ranks. And so junior hockey was the way to go. And uh, so I played junior hockey and I, uh, you know, I, I worked hard at that and played my a few years of junior hockey and, uh, and tried to get that scholarship. I, you know, uh, visited some schools, started to, uh, to get recruited, that kind of thing. And it wasn't until my 19, 20 year old year, so my last year of junior. So I had to take an additional year or two to get down here. And, um, it wasn't until my last year that, uh, Canisius came, uh, came and knocking and a few other programs as well. And, um, an interesting story was that Canisius was a fit for me for a lot of reasons. And, um, I was already going to university. I was, uh, my, my dad, you know, indicated to me that once I graduated high school, there isn't going to be any freebies. If you want to, you know, if you want to keep going and play uh, hockey, then you've uh, got to go to school too. So that's what I did. I was attending university in Ontario, McMaster University, which is in the Hamilton area, uh, a very good school in, uh, in the Hamilton area. But uh, I'm not so sure if I was a very good student at the time, nevertheless, because I was really focused on hockey. But um, but interestingly enough, uh, as I mentioned, I played a lot of other sports and rugby was a sport that I loved and I still play even now at this age, once or twice a year or something like that in an old timers game. And um, interestingly enough that Canisius 
uh, at, uh, at 1992 had won the state championships in rugby in New York state. And at the same time, McMaster university had uh, won the OUAA championships back then. Now it's called, I believe CIS, but back then it's Ontario university athletic association championships. And so the rugby coach from Canisius called the rugby coach from McMaster and challenged them to a game. And at that point I was going to McMaster playing hockey, but also had, you know, loved the sport of rugby. And then I heard about Canisius from the division one standpoint of hockey. And, and I went to see the, the rugby game. And I said to myself, geez, not only could I go to Canisius and become a physical education major and learn about teaching and being, a, a, again, a, a future professional in, in this wonderful profession that we're in now, but I could play hockey there. And who knows if I'm really lucky, maybe I can be a dual sport athlete and play rugby. So that put Canisius kind of on its own, on its own little pedestal for me to potentially aspire to. And that's kind of how it happened. It's a very unique story because while hockey certainly drove my ambition, uh, the sport of rugby being added to the equation really sealed the deal for me. for Canisius. Beautiful. I love it. And I, I found a lot of times too, um, even just talking to athletes, um, it's just it's not necessarily going to the the best team, the best program. It's going to the best fit. It's going to the best fit for the athlete. Um, where uh, I know a, a couple friends I've had where they've had uh, they've had a couple um, offers for D one schools in certain sports, but they ended up going either uh, D two or D three just because the the college, the environment, the uh, the choice of majors was just a better fit academically and overall for them. Um, and I know a lot of friends, you know, you always get, wow, you had a D1 offer. Why didn't you take D1? Why didn't you take D1? Well, if I would have gone to the D1 school, it wasn't going to be what I needed academically or it wasn't just that right fit. So I think that's what a lot of people realize, too. It's not only, you know, the right fit um for them program wise, but it's also the right fit academically wise, campus wise. There's a lot that goes into really um, choosing which, which team and which sport or which college you want to go to. Absolutely. Uh, and, you know, you, you say it really well. I mean, there's division two programs. Division two is kind of dwindled uh, in size as it once was, but division three is certainly bigger than ever. And um, there are, phenomenal programs at all levels whether it's division one two or three and in some cases those division two and three programs w- would do well against some division one programs so oh, for sure I think, I think you speak uh quite eloquently on the idea that a, that a fit on all uh sides of the equation are really important and and in my case you're, you're right uh, some other programs that i was certainly looking at canisius was a small at that point a much smaller division one independent program back then. So we weren't even in a division one conference back then. We were division one independent for hockey. Um, So we were smaller. We didn't have the, quite the resources, for example, that we have now. Uh, And, uh, but, you know, you add in the physical education major uh, again, the opportunity to think about sport, uh, the sport of rugby as well. Uh, And it all of a sudden became the perfect fit for me. Absolutely. Now, um, I know you coached at Canisius. How how far after was it from your playing days to your? Did you get into your coaching days? Was it a uh, transition uh, a couple years out? Was it next season? How how long did you make that transition from player to coach? 
so I finished playing around 96, uh, 1996 playing at Canisius and, you know, that, and like many of the Canisius graduates, probably more so now than back when I played, um, more, uh, now many of the players have a lot of really dynamic professional opportunities. Uh, when, when I was playing again, we were a smaller program. So only a few of us maybe had a serious chance to potentially go play, um, pro and and at that point pro would be would have been probably you know semi-pro east coast hockey league or down very rare american hockey league or international hockey league and and even very rare uh playing in europe maybe in some of the lower divisions but so the uh, opportunities for playing pro hockey for us at that point while they were they were there they're certainly not what they are now because the program is just so much better now for sure and those athletes are fantastic um so for me, I finished in 96 and I, you know, I had to, to consider, do I want to give, give this, you know, do I want to kick at the can to see if I can try to play pro for a couple of years, but knowing that probably it wasn't going to uh, materialize into anything other than, you know, just an experience. And, or for me, um, I got I, very fortunate again to be in the right place at the right time. I was offered a graduate assistantship in uh, 1997. Uh, to complete my master's degree at Canisius. And that's kind of what happened for me is I, I got a chance to work for the Dean back then, Dr. Jim McDonald, who I'm still obviously close with because, uh, you know, we always remember the people that, uh, that we stand on in terms of uh, their shoulders for sure. And uh, so I, I, um, I got a chance to work for him uh, as a graduate assistant and get my master's degree. So, so to, to answer your question, I didn't really, um, I decided not to kind of hang up the skates at that time, the proverbial skates. And I, uh, I still played rugby a little bit, um, but uh, not at the college level. I started getting into men's rugby and then obviously the old uh, all roads lead to beer league uh, hockey, of course. And then, of course, uh, but then um, for me, what I, I was concerned a little bit because at that point now I'm, I'm doing my master's degree and, you know, at that point, coach Cavanaugh was the coach of the hockey program and, we certainly kept in touch at, you know, another, again, near and dear mentor to me. Um, you know, he, you know, it was discussed on more than one occasion, you know, should I come back and help him coach? And uh, I was at that point, um, having been through the program myself and seeing some of the younger assistant coaches that go through, I was a little weary of, of trying to come in and coach potentially student athletes that in some cases I played with. So I yeah. wanted to take a couple of years off. So um, obviously still an ice grips, number one fan for sure. I went to a lot of games, that kind of thing. Um, always blue and gold through and through, but I took a couple of years off and, and I concentrated on getting my master's degree and I, I, and then fortunate to continue working in higher ed and doing some different things on the side when it comes to PE and coaching. And then, um, and then in 2001, so you see a, that, that kind of break in between is when I got a chance, I got a promotion to working in athletics for the for Canisius. And then that led to my opportunity to become the first um, uh, full-time assistant coach for the hockey program back then in 2001. So just to show you how, how small we once were and where we are now, where they have three full-time assistant coaches and all that fun stuff. So that was how um, I played that uh, particular phase of my. Oh, absolutely. Um, Now, how important do you think it was to start off as an assistant coach? I know some coaches, um, have started off right as the head others work their way up. Like my, myself, soccer is my big sport. 
Um, I know I started off through the ranks. Um, I've done as low as modified. I've done as uh, high as varsity and everywhere in between. For me, I thought it was important to start off um, at a lower level. Not that I didn't think I could handle it, but it just, for me, it kind of got my feet wet a little bit um, where I was doing just, um, I think my first coaching, I guess it was a, wasn't really a job, but it was just um, doing lower level travel soccer. Um, and then I ended up, um, my first paying job was I ended up being a varsity uh, coach over at the Park School of Buffalo. Um, and then I ended up doing some modified, some JV back to the varsity level. Um, for me, I thought it gave me a good knowledge of just every single level. I thought having that background, even to this day, has really helped me. Um, for you, as it, did you find it important gaining a lot of experience as an assistant coach? Um, or would you have preferred, hey, I can do this in my sleep. Let me just get right to the head coaching job. Uh, I mean, I, I think you've captured it well, Larry. I mean, it depends on the situation. I think at the younger levels, you can certainly jump in and probably be a head coach. But even, even then, if you watch experienced youth head coaches, they have intricacies, nuances, they have details that you don't always think about when you're first heading into the profession. But I mean, of course, there's many different, uh, there's many different forks in the road. We can go in a lot of different directions for sure. Uh, I'm certainly blessed for my opportunity as an assistant coach. And I agree with you. I think I learned a tremendous amount and still to this day, like you said, I have lessons I'll never forget. Oh, absolutely. Um, I know for me, and, and you can talk about this a little bit too, what was it like even just as your first as your first practice as a coach? Did you feel like, did you kind of feel yourself? I know for me, I felt even just that day before, those days leading up to that first practice, thinking back to some practices I had as a player, all right, this will work, this won't work. Um, what, what, were, what were some of your experiences even just, even just heading into that first practice as a coach? Was it, uh, oh my God, I'm finally doing this? Was it... Uh, were there any doubts? What was, what was that first experience going into in that first practice and even into that first season? Yeah, that's a great uh, question. And it's funny you asked that. I wasn't expecting it, but I, I, I have vivid memories. Um, I, I assume you're asking from the, whether it's the assistant coach or the head coach in perspective, it doesn't matter. Oh yes. Yes. Either or yeah. yes. So I, I, if we, you know, and I've had an opportunity, you know, much like Matt uh, to do some coaching even prior to my stint, um, working with the ice grips, you know, we do, I coached a little bit of youth hockey and youth rugby and, and, uh, soccer and, and some of those sports, even golf a little bit, um, and, uh, football. And so I've had a little bit of experience, but when it became time to, to work with Canisius hockey, now we're talking about a more regimented program, practicing every, uh, every day, that type of thing. So you're, so in answer to your question, I still remember the first few practices and I used to think to myself, okay, well, I, I'm thinking back to when I played and when I was at practice, oh, this is great. I get to you know, play with the players. I get to jump into some drills. I get to do some different things, maybe scrimmage with them, bust their chops a little bit, uh, you know, try to befriend them, be that buffer between the head coach. And it didn't take too long to realize from uh, Coach Kavanaugh that, hey, come on over here what are you doing? <laughs> You're not playing anymore. You're coaching. Get out there and coach. You don't, you, you, we're not interested in you becoming a better hockey player anymore. We're interested in them becoming a better hockey player. What are you doing to make them better? What are you doing to make you better? 
And so I, I learned pretty quickly that um, when it, when you become the coach, it's not about playing anymore. It's about what can you do to uh, enrich and make your, the experiences of your athletes meaningful. Oh, absolutely. You got to take off, you got to take off those skates and put on yeah. that, put on that coaching hat. Yes. You know? So it's definitely, and I was kind of the same way. I know um, even my first couple practices, you know, I, I, I do the drills with the kids or show them or this and that. Um, and it's, it's fun, but at the same time, you're looking like, all right, you've got to, you've got to coach them. You're not here to play with them. You're not right. playing in the game next week. <laughs> they are, you've got to, you've got to get them ready. So it's, sure. it's funny that you brought that up. Um, well, you know, Larry, the other thing that uh, it's funny too, is, um, you know, when we, when we stop playing, uh, the sports that we love to play at a higher level, or we, uh, we, we start to, um, ascend to adulthood uh we start thinking about okay we're not getting as much physical activity as we might have when we were younger we don't have the same metabolism so when again i think back that's a really great question you asked i think back to those first you know that first year or two where i was thinking myself okay uh you know i'm not running as much as i'm not getting as much activity i'm starting to put on a few pounds you know so every practice i'm on the ice every day so every practice, I'm going to do the skating drills with the with the players at the end or something like that. And again, it didn't take long for me to be wisened up, so to speak, by my head coach to say, again, this isn't about you. This is about the team. This is about the players. So so I think it speaks to that for sure. Oh, absolutely. And I know for me, I still, um, especially early on, I would do for soccer, we did, and I'm sure you did it for hockey too. We would do the wind sprints, the endurance. Yes. I'd sit there. I'd always do it with my kids because then I figured, hey, they can't complain. You know, coach is doing it right along with us. Right. Um, I mean, I know the older and older and older and older I got, I kind of looked like, okay, maybe it's only going to be one wind sprint <laughs> instead of five. Maybe it's right. Well, coach, how come you're not doing with us? Uh, because coaches, coach needs to watch you guys do the wind sprints. Right. But, you know, that's a good point. I, and I don't want to diminish that either, that I think there is a certain sense of capital that you have to certainly apply as a coach that oh, for sure. there is fitness going on. You're buying in and showing them that you're committed to, but I, I just getting back to your original question. Uh, when, when, it, when you put the coaching hat on, it's the coaching hat. It's yep. not the player's hat anymore. No, absolutely. Um, Matt, what do you got for us next? We got to, we're going to so, switch topics over to you. Yeah. So I'm kind of curious now. So we're, we're talking about coaching and stuff. What was it like experiencing the whole, so you kind of went through the quote unquote recruiting process yourself as a player. What was it like on the coaching side now? Was it like, how was that transition between player mindset to coaching mindset? That's a good question. I mean, you know, even in that time, things had changed. When I was um, recruited at Canisius, we were division one independent. Uh, we were a smaller program. We didn't have the resources that we had even when I came in, when I came in as a coach, we were now a part of a division one conference. We, um, so we competed. So the winner of our division one conference com- was an automatic bid to the national championships. That never happened when I played. Uh, so uh, things were a little bit more high stakes when I was recruiting back to when uh, the time when I was being recruited. Uh, you got to remember that when Canisius uh, uh, at the time that I was uh a student athlete we were division one independent so we had a mix of division one and division three competition and games uh and uh there wasn't limits back then to scholarships because we were independent and we didn't compete for a national championship so 
um, comparatively to uh, when I became the, uh, the part of the coaching staff. And now we had, we're part of a division one conference. You have to uh, just like you see in the NFL or the NBA or the NHL was salary caps. The same thing applies to uh, college hockey. There are caps and limits to scholarships that you have to watch and, and be close uh, and mindful of. And so when you make a mistake, when you were making a mistake back in my time as an athlete, I think the mistake wasn't as crucial or pivotal as it, uh, as it began to be when I started to uh, join the coaching ranks at Canisius and, and even more so now. I mean, so why are you pointing at me, Larry? I don't know. I just felt like pointing at you. <laughs> um, I was like, what are you trying to tell me? Um, okay, so, so, so describe your process, like your, like what you look like, how you went about recruiting. So I'm kind of curious about that. I, I know absolutely nothing about the recruiting process at all, to be honest. Yeah. Well, uh, for me, I, I did a, uh, you know, uh, a lot of recruitment in the Ontario region and Toronto region because, uh, again, junior hockey was big. Uh, towards the end of my coaching stint at Canisius, we, I started to cast a larger net uh, and start getting into some of the junior leagues in the United States, which have become more and more fruitful and and uh, pr- probably much better than ever before. And uh, so much so that I wonder if the junior hockey leagues and some of them in Ontario and some other regions in Canada are not quite as uh, where they were. Um, junior hockey in Canada is still very uh, competitive out West, British Columbia and Alberta, that region's fantastic. Uh, but back to your, um, but back to your question, what, what I learned uh, or what I tried to apply to recruiting is what um, in some cases is what I was socialized to. So if you recall in today's class, we talked about socialization that yep. we talked about, um, you know, our previous experience, our acculturation, our recruitment itself. And so when I was going through this process as a student athlete, I remember speaking to coaches, maybe playing a game and then speaking to a coach afterwards and, and excited about the opportunity to go to, uh, you know, uh, hockey university or hockey college. And, uh, and, but then, you know, later finding out that uh, maybe, uh, that program went in a different direction or, or something like that. So what I always try to do from a recruitment standpoint is remember that I was once on the other side of it. And uh, so when I started to become, uh, you know, interested in student athletes to a point where I said, you know, I can see this as student athlete being a nice fit for the Canisius Ice Griffs, um, I would start with uh, saying, okay, uh, you know, I would call the student athlete. I would maybe meet them after a game, talk to them. And I would start, uh, you know, having communications with them, but then ex- continued communications. And I would say to them, you know, uh, and I still remember that I said, I don't have, uh, we don't have the resources of some of the bigger division one programs, not just yet, but we're trying to. Uh, so what we can't make up with, with some of the recruiting advantages they have, I'll make up with, with my genuine uh, concern and consistency and contact with you and keeping you in the loop throughout the entire process. And that's kind of the way I always approached it. And how important do you think that is, especially uh, just for an athlete, even dealing with them and just, and getting the families involved, like getting, um, you know, getting the support of mom and dad or almost, it's almost like you're, you're not only recruiting the athlete, but you're also recruiting the family a little bit. You know, you want, absolutely. you, you I mean, get to know the, fa- the parents, potentially even siblings a little bit. 
you know, there are restrictions on when you can call and that kind of thing. So, but people, you know, the, the family gets to know you when you're again, and from my vantage point and Matt asked a great question. I, you know, what I, what I did is I was committed to being a consistent um, voice uh, for, uh, from Canisius college hockey that would uh, if I was interested, if the program was interested, if the, pro, if we felt the athlete was a right fit, then it was my duty to make sure that I showed interest, not just intermittently, but consistently throughout the recruiting process. So yeah, you get to know the family, they get to trust you. I mean, that's ultimately what it comes down to is trust. Uh, do we, you know, are, are we just trying to recruit as many athletes, student athletes as possible without any care or consideration for what that student athlete brings to the table or what may happen to them once they uh, enroll as a freshman on campus. So uh, that was important to me. I wanted to earn the trust of families. And so that's the way I always looked at it for sure. Absolutely. And especially with parents, I mean, they're literally entrusting you with the, you know, the care of their son or daughter, you know, it's going to be they're they're, they're entrusting you with four years of, of their uh, son or daughters, their athletes uh, trust their athletes, well-being. Um, they want to know that um, I'm, I'm sure they want to know that you're not in there. Like you said, just for their athlete to make, uh, just for their son or daughter to make your team better, you also they also want to know that you're going to make their son or daughter a better person, a better athlete, a better academic. Um, so graduate, think, graduate, yeah, graduate. Yeah, all of, if anything, graduate. Right? Exactly. Have a have something waiting for them, and at the end of whenever that whenever the end of their pro career is, you know, whatever that might be. And I was also going to say that I think part of that is demonstrating what your coaching philosophy is and just what your purpose is like your personal purpose as a coach is, and it's different for every coach. And I know taking your coaching class right now, we are in the process of developing our coaching portfolio. And one of them is to develop a coaching philosophy. Therefore, I also interviewed Larry right here for my coach interview. He did indeed. And let me tell you, it was a great interview. He asked a lot of good questions. Oh, that's great. That's great. I'm not surprised. Again, Matt is a go-getter and I see him as a, as a difference maker moving forward in the, in, in the profession, whether it's physical education or coaching or, and or both. For sure. Absolutely. Matt, I'm going to put you on the spot here for, for a quick second. Yeah. Have you, have you thought about what your coaching philosophy is going to be? Have you thought about what type of, what type of coach you're going to get into? I know you said you just started coaching gymnastics. Yes, correct? I did. Okay. Yeah. So what's, uh, what's, what's your coaching philosophy looking like? Um, so it, it, it's a rough, it's a rough start just because like you said, I started, but, um, I think that my, my main purpose is for my athletes to be successful in, in life, whether, so my, I want to teach them obviously skills and my information of the sport that they're doing, but I also want to kind of show them how, and I think this is the phys ed teacher coming out of me is like, I want to show them how to better their life outside of the sport as well. So, so gymnastics is a very kind of independent team sport, meaning like you're on a team, but you do everything independently. Like you get scored independently. You do your event independently. So a lot of that is you're teaching them how this is what you got to do for your success. But also, I want you to do this for your team success and building that team bonding. So there's different there's different factors there. And then also, I just want to promote, you know, a good, I like to say a good vibe for them to to go off and be like, all right, well, 
this is gymnastics time, but like, what are you doing outside of gymnastics? Like how's, how's school going, you know, just different promoting a better well-being for them overall. It's a little bit of a well-rounded, want a well-rounded athlete. Yeah. I like it. I, I like it. it. Beautiful. Indeed. And, um, uh, what would you say, Dr. Seema, what would you say are some of the, uh, biggest challenges facing a new coach? Uh, I know you tell you coach, uh, you teach, uh, the coaching, uh, some of the coaching courses at Canisius. I know you deal with, uh, phys ed teachers a lot, obviously. Um, what are some of the newer or even bigger challenges that you see just as, uh, that young coaches have to deal with? Well, I mean, I think I would be remiss if I didn't jump on the bandwagon with many other coaches who lament, uh, you know, juggling some of the egos that might be uh, involved in in coaching. And what I mean, unfortunately, by egos is uh, in many cases, parents and and organizations that maybe have their hands in or might not have the best interest of of the athletes, the student athletes. Or better yet, as you know, kind of Matt has alluded to, the, maybe from a more organic or holistic standpoint, the sport at hand. Uh, I think that's certainly a problem. Um, when you think about um, challenges, you have to think about it from different vantage points. Uh, you know, if we're talking about youth sports or perhaps, uh, you know, uh, high school or, you know, all parts in between sport. You know, you've got to juggle parents, you've got to juggle administration and, and liability and all those types of things. But when you're you're looking at it from uh, other angles, uh, you know, you have to think about all the different uh, and, and I'm sure uh, Matt maybe remember remembers this uh, analogy when that I use a lot that, that um, you know, there there were many occasions when I was coaching at Canisius that. I didn't have a chance to think about winning the game until I was on the bench listening to the national anthem and, uh, because of all the other things that you have to consider, uh, you know, from, uh, you know, play playbooks and, uh, you know, uh, uniforms and paying referees and hotels and team meals and, and all those things, uh, you know, the, and, you know, and uh, then finally, when it comes time to game time and the whistle blows, you can say to yourself, okay, what can I do now to try to win this game? So, so perspective is critical when it comes to uh, what a new coach has to face. Uh, I, I think it differs based on level for sure as well. No question about it. Oh, absolutely. And I think, I know one biggest thing that I had to learn is, just how much of a time commitment it is. I mean, a lot of times, especially as a player, sometimes you think, oh, the coach just comes up with the practice, goes to the game, and that's it. But it's not the case, especially, like you said, the higher the, the, higher the level you are, the more time you have to put in where you're uh, on a high school level, you're making sure every kid's got their physical in. You're making sure that every kid is staying academically eligible. You're mm-hmm. making sure that you're dealing with parents and keeping the parents happy. Yes, you are setting up practices, but you're also scheduling your non-league games against other uh, other teams. You're checking out what this team's doing. You're setting up games. You're setting up your film. You're making uh, making sure the field and yes. everything is set up. Um, I mean, I know I've been, especially early on, I've been the guy that had to chalk the field. I've been the guy that's had to set up the nets. I mean, it is, you got to get the busing schedule in. It's, it's a lot more time consuming that people, that people realize. 
Um, so yeah, it's just, uh, absolutely. Uh, well said. Yeah. And I think it's something that you, yeah, really, I, you really don't realize it until you're in that season until you're doing it. I know I for sure didn't. Agreed. Uh, absolutely. The time uh, I, I'm glad you brought up the, you know, I, I brought up some, you brought up some other ones, video. I mean, all the things that you have to do. I mean, if you think about some of the most successful coaches in the world, what are they known for? They're known for like a Bill Belichick for being a grumpy curmudgeon. Why? Well, because he <laughs> lives in his office and that's yeah. why uh, because oh. of the time commitment that's required uh, to be successful. And it's not going anywhere. Uh, the, and, and that's, you know, certainly you, you mentioned some of the challenges. That's probably what we're seeing uh, in, in the coaching profession. One potential, uh, you know, uh, barrier is is the what the, the time commitment and what it takes to be able to make it far in the coaching profession indeed oh absolutely and it's um you know there are times uh where m- my wife knows that during soccer season you know we we plan our vacations not during the fall we've got to plan our vacations during the winter or uh, i coach indoor track and outdoor track as well so um she knows where it's it's sectional time we're not taking a trip that time. She also knows, okay, there's a little bit of a leap with a little bit of a window between um, soccer season and track and field season. So we can plan maybe a weekend getaway there. Um, And I know for me, it's, uh, um, I can't tell you how uh, happy and how lucky I am to have a a, uh, partner like her, where she's just, um, She's very understanding. Let's put it this way. Very understanding of, uh, of my coaching situation. And it's one thing where she's even had friends uh, ask her before where she said, well, don't you get annoyed when Larry's away on this weekend or he's got a tournament here or a tournament there. And she's like, no, she's like, I knew what I knew his job when we first started dating. Um, and she, she knows it and she gets it. And I think a lot of times, um, uh, young coaches might have a little bit of a trouble navigating even just relationships because it's it can be tough for sure. Ba- balance, indeed, right? Um, and oftentimes the best coaches, and for that matter, teachers as well, uh, you know, uh, are successful because they have that balance, but they also have that support network uh, to be able to lean on. And in your case, a wonderful partner that understands what uh, she signed up for when it comes to um, being a, a companion for you for the journey. Right. And um, you know, and, and you know, another thing that I wanted to bring up too, when it comes to, to challenges for beginning coaches to consider is, is the whole, again, back to that conversation that I had with Matt today about socialization and how we become interested and recruited for the profession itself. And um there are many times that there are mixed aspirations or mixed uh, uh, perspectives when it comes to coaches. Uh, there are they entering the PE teaching profession because they want to be the coach, or conversely, the opposite, or vice versa. Um, coaching is not teaching. Teaching is not coaching. They're very much uh, interrelated, but they're 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 different. They're different goals. Uh, Matt, uh, Matt talks about philosophy. There's a different goal when it comes to physical education versus coaching in athletics. And uh, we have to certainly be remember that. And I think beginning coaches sometimes forget about that. 
Oh, absolutely. And, and very, very well said. Um, I'm glad you brought that up because it, it very much is, there's a marriage between coaching and phys ed, but they are, they are two different things. And I think, I, I, like you said, um, sometimes coaches and teachers kind of uh, don't realize that they, that there, there needs to be, they've got to blend and work together, but they're also need to be a little bit, you know, different as well. Yeah. <laughs> um, so now uh, we're going to get in, Matt, what do you think? We'll get into the coach's hot seat here. We'll put, uh, we'll, we'll yeah. put Dr. Seymour on the hot seat. Yeah, but you stole one of my questions. So I only have two instead of three. I stole one of your questions. Uh, yeah, Matt, Matt took a peek of my, uh, he took a peek of my thing. So his questions uh, won't be a, a bit of a surprise. Okay. But um, Matt, we'll have you go with uh, your question number one. That'll, right. that'll give you some time to think of a third one. My question number one, it, this, uh, this one's just really kind of random. But what's your favorite movie snack? Movie snack? Yeah. Hmm. That's an interesting one. I'm hungry. Yeah, I, well, uh, I really enjoy, uh, you know, I, I guess setting aside the pandemic, it hasn't been a, an endeavor that I, we've had a chance to do as much as we would have liked uh, since the pandemic. But I, one of my favorite things to do uh, is go to the drive-in uh, with my uh, family. Uh, I have four beautiful children. Uh, and my wife, as uh, Larry mentioned, and Matt mentioned, is also a physical educator, Buffalo Public Schools. So both of you are in the same school district as well. And so we, um, nevertheless, I, I enjoy going to the drive-in. And one of the things we do with the drive-in, uh, there's a drive-in out in Lockport, um, out on Transit Road. And we, uh, we order a pizza from one of the fantastic oh. uh, pizza shops out that way called uh, Sonny's. And uh, we bring in the pizza and we also make sure we stock up on some beverages uh, uh, and uh, peanut butter cups and M&Ms and that kind of thing. Mm. So I guess a, um, just a, a, a smorgasbord of stuffing myself in front of a drive-in with my family and kids is probably one of my favorite movie snacks. I hope that answers your question, Matt. Oh yeah, definitely. I love it. For me, I'm a big, I'm a big raisinette guy. I'm gonna yeah, go with. Oh raisinets. yeah, we had them too. I, how can I forget the raisinettes? I love the raisinettes. I know. I'm. Yes. It's funny when I watch a movie. I'm not a big popcorn Nasty. person. I'm not no, a big popcorn neither. person. Neither. I'm not a chips guy or popcorn guy. I'll much rather take something chocolate for sure. Abs- absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. All right, so. Uh, my I knew first- chocolate was going to get into this. Everybody who knows me <laughs> has a wicked sweet tooth. So uh, oh, I'm telling you, chocolate does it for me every time. Every for time, sure, for sure. Um, all right. So my question is, my first one is favorite. Now we're talking about sports or uh, movies here. Let's keep it going. Favorite sports movie of all time. Your favorite sports movie. Ah, oh, you know, there's so many good ones. Uh, you know, a couple that, uh, you know, recent that I've really enjoyed, um, Glory Road. Okay. Uh, yeah, an excellent movie that, that um, makes, you know, that, that has a wonderful story behind it, but it's a much more deeper uh, story about, uh, you know, thinking about um, some of the social political uh, constraints that, are, that we face even today, still today. Uh, so there's a lot of deeper meaning to that movie for sure. And uh, it's, it's a great message. So that's, that's certainly one. I, I would be remiss if I didn't mention um, Hoosiers, another movie that I really enjoy. I was going to say that was going to be my choice. <laughs> it's no, it's no surprise. It, and it's no coincidence. I'm, it's not certainly intended that two movies I just mentioned are basketball. 
it just happens to be the case that that's uh, the situation. But um, yeah, I, I love Gene Hackman and a great movie. And again, another great message. Uh, certainly lessons from that movie that many, many coaches still use to this day, whether it's the uh, taking the small basketball court and putting it into the big stadium and all those types of things and making sure that everybody is a part of the same team and that no one's bigger than the team. I think that movie really says has some wonderful messages as well. So those are two for sure that I enjoy. Absolutely. And it's funny that you say Hoosiers because I actually did that. I, one of, I, I was a JV basketball coach. Um, so since you're the JV coach, you're the assistant for the varsity team. And we had a, uh, it was our first um, second game, second sectional game. And we got to play at Buff State. And of course I did the whole, all right, measure the basketball. Yes. And after, after, you know, I gave the speech or whatever, one of my kids looks at me, he's like, wasn't that from a movie? <laughs> It's like, no, I just thought of it now. That's great. That's great. I love it. I love it. And there's, uh, there's lots of other fantastic sports movies for sure. Oh, absolutely. They come to mind. Absolutely. Matt, what about you? Favorite sports movie of all time? Remember the Titans. I love yeah. football. Yeah. Excellent one. Denzel Washington. Oh, Another yeah. great story. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And I think that's too, I think, you know, if it, it, that's part of what makes it not only a great movie, but a great uh, sports movie where, you know, you tie in sports with, politics you tie in sports with uh stuff that's happening in the country in the world um and it's just great remember the titans is another favorite of mine um i'm gonna go with mcfarland for mine um the disney movie about running uh, the cross-country team um new coach who kind of brought the uh the cross-country world and the mcfarland um uh, I, I don't think i've seen that one oh it's great it's uh it's actually yeah. a true story uh jim white was the gentleman's name who coached um, he started literally, it was, uh, um, he had moved to a, uh, very, uh, uh, poor district in, um, uh, in New Mexico and, uh, or sorry, in California and, um, just really started a cross country program, turned the school around. And I think they ended up winning, um, in the late nineties, I think they ended up winning like five or six state championships in lacrosse right in a row. Um, great movie. Um, and of course another Disney movie. Add that to my uh, list for sure. Disney. Oh, absolutely. Disney movie. All right. So, Matt, what do you got for your uh, next hot seat question? I'm going to steal yours that I rightfully claimed as mine. Is uh, It's kind of different. But um, what would be, like, what's your favorite superhero? All right. So, you're going to make me come up with another one after this. All right. My question was, if you could pick a superhero, which would it be? But Matt's, Matt's going to steal it from me again. My so, favorite superhero. Hmm. I think hmm. I was going to say, Matt, do you have an answer? Matt, do you at least have an answer to your question here? Of course. It's, it's a Batman. Oh, you were just going to say mine is Batman, but the Christian Bale Batman. Oh, okay. okay. In the Christopher Nolan movies. That's the Batman that I like. See, now here's a question. Is Batman really a superhero because he doesn't have any particular superhuman strength or super like superhuman ability. He just has a lot of cool, cool gadgets. Well, he's kind of like a detective. Yes. He's like a master detective. Okay. All right. I mean, I think when I was younger, I would root for some of the, uh, I would maybe vote uh, for some of the uh, superheroes. We all think of super, you know, Superman or some of these other certainly, uh, uh, metahumans to quote flash or something like that. Right. These, uh, extraordinary examples of, uh, 
superheroes. But I think uh, speaking to that, like uh, Matt said, a detective and, and if, you know, another thing I've learned over the years is that, uh, you know, sport is a wonderful vehicle to, to expand upon your career. And, um, but we still need our minds and we still need our bodies uh, to work in unison. Right. And, and Batman is an example of a very wealthy person that has a lot of the, uh, uh, trinkets to be able to do some of these great and, uh, wonderful things to save humanity, but he also has a, a beautiful mind too. Oh, Absolutely. I agree. All right, Matt. So since you stole my, my question, why don't you go with your third question? What do you got? There? Okay. What was it? Uh, um, what's like your, uh, fa- or your, um, sport icon, your biggest sport icon or, uh, um, you know, person that you looked up to. Good question for me. I know for me, I'm going to say Pele. I think I've mentioned this before. Uh, I'm a big soccer person. Um, that's my sport, but just not only what he did on the field and not only, I mean, was just a tremendous, I still say one of the best players ever, but just the, the stuff that he did off the field, the political ambassador that he was the uh, tremendous sports ambassador, what he did for uh, Brazil and other countries, less fortunate. Um, He was just, for me, he was a global icon. He was, he was uh, in every sense of the word on off the field, everything that he did uh, for me, especially as a, as a youngster growing up in the sport, he was uh, really a, a, a person I admired both on and off uh, the field. So for me, it's Pele. That's a good one. Um, incidentally, the uh, is it the movie Victory with Pele? Yes. Yeah. Victory uh, that came out in the early 80s. And I saw that movie in the movies, Larry. So that's how old I am comparatively <laughs> to you. As I was a young soccer player at the time. Uh, and uh, we went to see that movie when it came out in the movies in Pele. So Pele is a very good one. Hard to, hard to dispute or hard to counter that one. I, I have a couple that I can think of, and I, and I, and I do think you're, you're, uh, you're spot on when it comes to what Pele not only can, uh, accomplished on the field, but off the field. And certainly, you know, uh, there are others uh, that have, have done that as well. Muhammad Ali and, uh, was the gentleman that still uh, the uh, the basketball player that the Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, but there's the other basketball player whose son is now a coach, uh, is still an activist from a social context. I can't remember his name. Um, he played for the Lakers and the, and the Celtics. And his son was the coach of the Lakers, and I can't remember his name at this point. It escaped me. Oh, uh, was it Walton? Yes. yes. Yes, Walton. Yeah, he was a, another advocate of. Uh, you know, for not only the sport, but uh, outside of the sport. So those are, those are two, but, you know, I would be, um, you know, I, I've always been, and, and in particular with the pandemic that has passed uh, and hopefully passed and on our way down kind of uh, to a better spot. Uh, we had a chance to watch, I think all of us were glued to the um, uh, ESPN last April or April of 2020 when we watched Michael Jordan and, uh, what he accomplished and what he did with that, uh, that uh, very uh, interesting eight year period of winning those six championships and then being on hiatus for two, um, you know, he, he was fantastic. And uh, I think many of us forgot, uh, you know, what, what he did and what he, uh, what he meant to the game and what, uh, and how, and just how dominant he was. Uh, So he certainly won, but, 
you know, uh, back to your point, Larry, you know, did he accomplish as much off the court? I don't know. You know, it's a tough question. I think that was not his niche. I think if anything, he, he probably tried to stay away from that a little bit. Boy, yeah. I don't, his, I don't think it was his comfort zone. Um, so, you know, he's one, uh, again, a great question. I've given you a few, but I would be very foolish if I didn't mention Wayne Gretzky. Uh, I was a great one. I, I'm glad you said that because I was yeah. like, how could a young Canadian hockey player yeah. not say Wade Gretzky? How could I not? Yeah, and I and I would believe me, I wouldn't. And what he has accomplished both in the rinks around the world, but namely uh, for, in Southern California and, and, and for hockey in the United States, uh, you know, it cannot be rivaled. And then you add in what he he's an ambassador for for the sport, you know, you know, his father passed last year and he's known as the father of hockey in, in, in Canada and, and uh, you know, just speaks to how endearing Wayne Gretzky is to the Canadian community. And, and for that matter, the U S community now too, and uh, what he's accomplished both in, in, in the sport of hockey and outside is second to none. And, and again, I, I'm not interested in getting into battles with others about, you know, who is more dominant uh, in the game. He was one of the best, if not the best player to ever play hockey. And I, I saw one of those uh, Gatorade or those sports science uh, Institute things that we see on ESPN and a long time back. And they were comparing what Wayne Gretzky accomplished in terms of his records uh, comparatively to Jordan and rightfully so. And I think that by the end of the conversation, it was, uh, conveyed that in order for Jordan to even come close to what Gretzky did to the record books, he would have had to triple his overall career output compared to what Wayne Gretzky did to the sport of hockey. So pe- many people don't realize that. I mean, he just, he destroyed, he annihilated the record books. Uh, he had some help, no question, but what he did just alone in that is, is uh, remarkable. And then you add in the other pieces too. So. Oh, absolutely. And then I think even just, um, I think he's very instrumental for, for growing the game in the United States, just when yeah. he came over to LA and the, the, um, prominence that he put on hockey, the appeal that he got, I think for, I mean, I, I'm, I'm no predictor or whatever, but I have a feeling just him being on that LA team just grew the sport for sure. of hockey in the United States. Yeah. Uh, and I thank you for reminding me that, that that's another piece is, you know, what, He's done. We have Stanley Cup champions now out of Los Angeles. We have one of the best hockey players in the world, uh, Austin Matthews. And of course, I have to mention him because he's a Toronto Maple Leaf. Uh, and he, he grew up in Phoenix. Uh, so how can we not mention what he's been, what he's done to grow the, the game of hockey? And to the point, and let's be honest, the two best countries in the world in hockey are Canada and the United States. Uh, yes, Russia's still good. Sweden's still good. But perennially, uh, the, when when you look at the upcoming global competitions, who uh, who is circled on the map and it's or who is circled on the schedule? Excuse me, and it's Canada, the U.S. because they are truly the best. And uh, and I think you're spot on that Wayne Gretzky has a lot to do with that, growing the game in the United States. Absolutely. And the last coach's hot seat question: um, favorite home cooked meal now whether it's it's a meal that you cook yourself that your wife cooks that your mom or dad has cooked what's your favorite like if you can only have one home cooked meal uh what's that go-to home cooked meal good question so i'm gonna put matt on the spot and ask him first to buy me some time 
All right. Um, so I love Italian food and my beautiful girlfriend is really Italian. So she makes lasagna and pasta with homemade sauce and Ooh. even sometimes homemade pasta. So homemade everything, bread, meatballs, whatever you want. And so that's that's got to be my favorite thing in the entire world. That's a keeper right there. Oh, that's yeah, a yeah that's, that's excellent. That and a bunch of Prilosec for my heartburn, but it's okay. <laughs> I guess for me right now is, uh, you know, and I'm fortunate again, my, my better half Karen is, uh, uh, is certainly a leader when it comes to, uh, uh, creative, uh, uh, plates in the, in the kitchen. And she does a wonderful job. And oftentimes, uh, I'm, I'm actually very excited because I opened the fridge before this podcast today, as you know, I came off the ice, I opened the fridge and I saw, um, uh, a container full of chopped squash uh, and she really does some wonderful um, uh, creative ideas with squash and uh, whether it's adding a chicken to it or another meat Ooh. and then she you know throws in olive oil or or some sort of vinaigrette uh, it's it's fantastic and I really enjoy it and, and so much so that my kids are connoisseurs and eat food uh, as a result of Karen because of some of the creative dishes that she uh, develops. So uh, I would go with that. And I often say to my, my kids, you know how much I like squash when I was a kid, I didn't like it. I couldn't eat it. I couldn't <laughs> stand it. And now I love it. And it's, yeah, it's probably because we, we grew up and our taste buds changed, but I never tell my kids that, but <laughs> on top of it, it's because of, we didn't have, I didn't have the, uh, the pleasure of having uh, Karen dress it up so well. So probably that. Ooh, perfect. I love it. Um, well, Dr. Seymour, before we go, before we wrap this up, is there anything that you would like to plug? I know you've got your podcast that you do. Um, is there yes. anything else that you'd like to plug or any, any upcoming projects or events that you're working on currently? Well, thanks for mentioning the podcast and hopefully we can put this uh, episode on the, on our podcast uh, as well, where the, uh, we uh, have the New York state a for uh, a through Z health and PE podcast. And notice I said a through Z instead of a through Z. Um, but nevertheless, it's the, uh, a through Z health and PE podcast. And we've just got that going over the last year. I'm pretty excited about that. We generally release episodes once a month or so. So hopefully we'll be able to simulcast this episode uh, on that podcast as well. Uh, but that's, uh, up and running and we have some exciting episodes coming in the fall for that. So take a look at that, uh, through your various podcast, um, uh, apps and catchers and players from that standpoint, um, as, as you, um, uh, brought up and uh, certainly appreciative of it, Larry, I'm the current president of the New York state association for health, physical education, recreation, and dance. My stint as uh, president is coming to a close in November and I've served, uh, as, as president for two years and I was able, uh, I'm the first president to, to serve a two year stint since, uh, I believe something in the 1940s. And I was able to do that. Uh, peacefully and amicably with everyone supporting me. So I'm grateful for that given uh, the situations. And uh, uh, so, uh, uh, you know, as I mentioned to, uh, you know, PE professionals, future professionals uh, and coaches, um, uh, health educators, dance and recreation specialists, supporting your professional association is critical. Um, we want, uh, you know, uh, a large seat at the table, uh, not uh, a small seat. And what do I mean? We want when decisions are made about our professions moving forward, 
Uh, we have 14,000 health and physical educators in, in, in New York state alone. And we want, so we want a table that seats all 14,000. That means join New York state AFER to make our voice 14,000 strong. It's your duty to support uh, the association as much as the association supports you moving forward. So um, we, we want uh, you to join, please um, support us as we move forward. We've done some great things. Um, I appreciate you having me on for today. We uh, had a chance to kind of just scratch the surface of uh, some stories regarding to uh, regarding the coaching profession. Uh, a lot of fun, as I often say to my students, excellence is a journey and not a destination. I'm sure, uh, Larry, I get the sense that you're you and I are uh, of the same elk. We like to use uh, analogies and quotes, and uh, that's one that I love, and it's near and dear to my heart. And the idea that we can always become better. We're all learners in this journey. Uh, and whether it's in coaching or whether it's in teaching or whether it's in any other profession, we're always learning. And as soon as you uh, start, start thinking that you have the market cornered and you have things all figured out, at that point, I think it's time to hang up the proverbial skates or the proverbial boots. I agree 100%. I know a lot of the kids that I've coached, they, they, they call them coachisms. So it's... Uh... I, I, I agree on there a hundred percent. And thank you. Thank you so much uh, for coming on. This was a real treat. And like I said, um, I, I, I agree. I think we've only scratched the surface here and you are welcome. Any, any time back on the that. podcast. Um, sorry. I stole Matt's thunder. Matt, would you like to no. welcome him back since he's your professor? You're, you're, you already did it. It's okay. <laughs> the moment's passed, Larry. The moment's <laughs> well, you are definitely welcome back anytime. I would and, love to come back. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We'll set it up again. Thank you so much. And thank everybody out there for listening uh, to another exciting uh, episode of Stories from the Sidelines. Follow us on Facebook or on Instagram. Um, that's all we have for today. Thank you so much, and we'll see you next week.